there was an idea. The two podcasters could join together and cover every single superhero television show and movie that exists. Scott and Chris combined their talents to form Binge Storm and to make this idea a reality. Then Barry Allen popped in and reminded us that short of having time-altering super speed, there's no way in hell we could accomplish that in one lifetime. But we'll do what we can. Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. Hi, welcome to Weekly Heroics, the two true freaks, and now somebody's going to call me. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm attempted to, but my phone doesn't work in here. Hi, Boom. Take, take 57. Hi, welcome to Weekly Heroics. Hi, welcome to Weekly Heroics, uh, two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. Fuck it, do it live. Um, <laughs> here with Pat Delmore, we're doing Legion Cast. We're doing a giant size man thing episode of episode six and seven of the final season so chapters 25 and 26 and uh yeah uh one more to go which will probably be airing the same night this thing drops and i probably still won't get to watch it for a couple days after that but so no spoilers in the facebook page um but we're I, I I gotta lead with a couple apologies here. Hopefully we can re- we've tried to record five times now. Pat keeps losing power on the west coast or something. Hopefully not uh, signs of an earthquake to come or something. Oh uh, God, don't even joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, being serious, y'all are yeah. in the ring of fire over there. Yes, we it's, are. It's not wise to live there, but. <laughs> But apologies, uh, one, for this being late, and in general, most of our podcasts being late. I've done pretty well on a couple of them, but um, literally like doing four podcasts this summer. So yeah, uh, it's been kind of, you know, taking me out of my lazy zone and making me be a prolific editor again. And, and that entails me listening to myself talk a lot, and I can only do it in small chunks here and there. But we'll, we'll do our best for you. Um, the other apology was that I was going to do a, an ambitious project for this recap and that uh, if you've seen episode six, uh, you'll know where I was going with this, but uh, I was going to attempt to like write my own fairy tale uh, based on the episode to do the recap. And I started doing it and I had quit. A, I was getting some good steam going in the writing. And then I looked over at the the recap of the show that I was recapping, and I realized I was like five pages on my fairy tale and about four paragraphs in the recap, um, which is about 30 paragraphs. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work because I don't want to edit a three-hour show, and Pat probably doesn't want me to listen to me read that long. So we're going to go with the uh, old standby of the uh, the badly written Recaps that I'm stealing from another website, which I should probably source, but I won't because they're an embarrassment. They should proofread more, and I should proofread them more. But so we're going to just do the recap with us going back and forth because that's actually really easy to edit, too. I like this new system of ours. There are plenty of great three hour shows on this network. Oh, that's true. I just don't want to edit any of them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I used to. I used to be that. <laughs> So I had no councils for old men only ever came out once a month because they all ended up being like three and a half hours long. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty much. I, I think I tapped out. I think our Batman versus Superman five minute freak was like 
three hours and 47 minutes or something ridiculous like that. Uh, and I listened to the whole thing. <laughs> Apparently a lot of people did. I'm pretty proud of that one, especially the, the Photoshop of all nine of us uh, as Supreme Court judges. Um, that worked out quite perfectly and intentionally. Yeah, we planned it exactly like that to have nine people in one podcast, <laughs> which I'll never, ever do again. So, anyway, it's just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we... <laughs> I've had no sleep, and, so I'm going to get try silly. We, and try we shall. But once upon a time, there was a kindly couple that lived in the forest of the astral plane. Oliver pulls a, pulls a child's wagon behind him and picks up lost things that we learn, or things that, you know, lost lives and souls that end up in the in the astral plane, presumably maybe after people die or go crazy, uh, and including mines, and he finds a baby girl and, and wonders who she is and then puts uh, puts the bag holding her onto his wagon and leaves. But before he gets home, we meet big bad Jerome Wolf, who greets him and asks him if he, if he can have the baby, and Oliver tells him to get his own. He's like, hey, I found this one. And the wolf tells Oliver to tell the baby about Holocaust and the herpes. And Oliver's wife, Melanie, comes out and shoes the wolf away. And Oliver shows her the baby. Melanie takes the baby inside while the wolf howls in the distance. And, and any of you parks and recreation fans out there, uh, you had to recognize the wolf as, I think it was Dennis Feinstein, the douchebag um, perfume guy that was in Pawnee in Parks and Rec. Uh, yeah, Jason Manzukis. Yeah, so he's, he's equally douchey. As a big bad wolf as well, so that's that's pretty cool. It's good to see him working with Aubrey Plaza. He used to work with Aubrey, so they didn't get to work together in this, but you should put in a good word for him. In the real world, uh, at an apartment, sirens sound in the distance, and we see that the astroplane forest is actually potted plants on somebody's windowsill. Oliver makes soup, and Melanie wonders what they should call the baby. She says that she told him that her name is Sydney, and Melanie thinks that Sydney sounds familiar. The wolf pounds on the walls, and Oliver warns that he burnt that he blew down the paper house the last time. This time, the house is straw, and it should hold. The wind howls, the wolf blows, and Oliver goes to chat with him. The wolf is outside and introduces a girl, Cynthia. He says that Cynthia has needles and suggests that they party. Specifically, she has dirty needles. Yes. Yeah. Melanie comes up and tells the wolf to go, and the wolf says that Cynthia has given up all hope, and that's great. The older woman says that they plan to ra- to raise Sydney away from the real world and ushers Cynthia in for soup while telling the wolf to go. Cynthia looks at the baby, and Melanie says that they should move as the wolf howls. I love Oliver in this. It's like, we have good, strong straw now. He'll never get through this. Yeah. So Oliver clearly hasn't read his childhood fairy tales. <laughs> Or he has, and the progression was intentional, which is kind of the... Well, they do end up in brick eventually. Yep. Uh. <laughs> Tremaine Clement is just incredible he in really everything is. that he does. I, I didn't realize, I, I saw this on some inter, uh, YouTube best of list that I watch too much, and uh, it was like best aliens, you know, part eight or something like this of the movies. And uh, I forgot that he had played the main big bad in uh, Black, uh, Men in Black 3. Oh, uh, did he? Huh. Yeah, yeah. I, huh. I did not even... Well, he's in heavy makeup, so you didn't really recognize yeah. him at all. But it was one of the bright spots in that, that movie, which actually wasn't that bad. Hmm. Moving on. He makes a hell of a vampire, too. 
uh, yes. watch uh, what we do in the shadows, the movie and the show. Cindy grows up, and when she's five, uh, runs across the countryside. She helps Oliver make a wall of stones and plays with a dollhouse that Cynthia helped her make. Um, Cindy, Sid, Cindy, Cindy, yeah, we got too many S-sounding women in this yeah. show. Sydney goes with Oliver as he scavenges memories, and they talk about music and umbrellas. Uh, Oliver says that the things they scavenge come from the real world when people forget about it. Uh, lost souls, lost lives, and the like. And he warns her not to go a certain way and shows her a massive city that lies beyond. And Sydney wonders what makes it real. Oliver takes, tells her that he'll explain when she's older. Oliver and Sid uh, return to their cabin, and Sid stops to tie her shoe. She sees a fallen tree and goes over to examine it. A dead animal lies in the branches, and the wolf is looking at it. He says that death is scary and everyone dies. Sid explains that Melanie told her that death is a part of life, and Oliver calls Sydney to her. So it, it, it just occurred to me, well, you know, with the the similar sounding names, do we think that Cynthia is the part of uh, Sydney that she needs to let go of? Possibly. In yeah. order to return to the real world? Yeah. which That's where she came from? Yeah, in a way, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. the re- rejection of the, the wolf and, and embracing of... Uh, the kindly mon cat couple. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, Jean Smart would make a great mock cat. Yes, she would. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I can't. I can't see Jermaine Clement as Pa. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, you know. Um, that night at the cabin, Sydney asks Melanie to tell her a bedtime story. Melanie talks about a girl who has the ability to feel everything that the animals feel, and her name is Empathy. Which uh, means that we've we've been on the right track this whole time because uh, they've noticeably mentioned or not mentioned empathy in all the times they've mentioned like traits and things that they need to fight uh, evil. Right. Um, Sydney or Cynthia shares the feelings of the animals around her. Actually, it's uh, Sydney that's feeling that, not Cynthia, because okay. yeah, Sydney. Uh, you can see what they're holding when she's holding this baby deer. Um, Cynthia has this very like disinterested look on her face and Sydney is the one that's really into it. Um, She shares the feelings of the animals around her and wonders where they end and she begins. She goes out at night and the wolf approaches her. The wolf asks if she misses her parents back in the real world and reminds her that her mother was a lush. He says that Kenny is sorry and wants Cynthia to come back, even though he beat her. When Cynthia tries to go back inside, the wolf grabs her and offers her some drugs. He strokes her face and asks Cynthia to smile for him and leads her off into the darkness. And this is where he tells the uh, the light bulb analogy to her, which mm-hmm. is that the light bulb loves the darkness because yeah. that's where the light bulb gets to shine. The next day, Sydney eats breakfast with her adopted parents and Cynthia's seat is empty. Yeah, if I ever become a you know, lecherous scumbag like the Big Bad Wolf, I'm definitely using that line. That was good stuff. Yep. <laughs> well, it goes it goes back to um, what is it? The people are stronger at the broken places, and right, the, right. what was the thing about the ring of the ring of angels around oh, right. heaven that was used in the other Sydney flashback episode? I yeah. Remember yep. How it went. Yeah, I can't either. Ring of angels around the sun, maybe, or yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Sid grows up some more. Melanie tells her about becoming a woman. Sydney asks what chlamydia is because the wolf planted that little seed in her head and says that uh, she heard it from the wolf. Melanie explains that chlamydia is a virus one gets from having sex with someone else who has it. As Sydney uh, sleeps, she dreams of her life with David and whimpers. Melanie hears it and tells Oliver about it. She warns that Sydney is having dreams of her life outside and whatever brought her to their world. Oliver wonders if it'll pass and doesn't understand why anyone would want to go back to that. And Melanie says that Sid might feel that there's something unresolved in her life and feels like they knew her from, quote, unquote, before. Oliver says that there's no before for them. Um, Melanie calls Sid over to tell Oliver her dream. The girl says that she forgot, and Oliver tells her they can't help her unless she uses her words. Sydney still says nothing, and Oliver tells her that it's okay and she can speak when she's ready. I think it's important that when Melanie explains uh, chlamydia to uh, to Sydney, she specifically says that you know it's it's something that you get in your vagina, whereas a cold you know you have in your whole body. Because right. I think that the wolf's logic would be that well you you have chlamydia basically you are chlamydia you are that disease right and you know Melanie wants Sydney to know that it's like no that would be a part of you for some time but that wouldn't be your whole identity right nice yeah yeah so definitely some good well you know Melanie was the therapist so she's got the good psychology stuff going on there Sydney sleeps and has more dreams of David promising that none of it will happen. The Legion Davids overwhelm her in the dream and Sydney whimpers outside the wolf watches the house and growls. Oliver and Melody go to bed and the wolf blows the roof off the house and howls. Later, Oliver says they have to move. The lean years come and the family move from the cabin to the gutter in the city. Sydney stays in their apartment studying. And she insists that math makes sense. She says that it's time for her to see the world. And she feels like there's something she needs to do. Oliver says that it's about the order that she learns things. Sydney insists that she can take care of herself. And Oliver tells her that they want the feeling of safety she has with them to continue. He tells her that they have to learn to to learn about love before they learn hate or everything goes to hell. And the other what the other line I realized as I was going through this is during that <clears throat> description that Melanie is giving Sydney. Sydney says bodies are weird, which a lot of kids say, but I think it's crucial to this show because it has so much to do with the mind. Yeah, yeah. that you know, being like, oh, you know, being a kid and going, oh, bodies are weird. I'm just going to deal with you know non corporeal things from now on. As I get older, I realize how much of an absolute truism that is. That small statement is so true. Bodies are fucking weird. Yeah. One thing, tip from people over 50. Uh, Newton didn't need the apple to fall on his head to prove gravity. You just wait till your hair starts going south. Mm-hmm. All my hair that used to be on the top of my head is now my eyebrows for some reason. Who knew? Nothing wrong with bushy eyebrows. <laughs> I guess not. Until they start poking you in the eye. I mean, my little, oh, you know, fuck. get, get long enough to braid occasionally. It's, oh. it's kind of scary. Um, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to talk about my Sasquatch back, but I just did. So, <laughs> ah, now you have to visualize it. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, later do our preacher coverage for more talk about bodies. yeah oh, even worse yes <laughs> uh foreskins over on the preacher cast this week 
<laughs> later, Sydney walks down the street. Thank God we watch at least one show that doesn't have extreme brisses. Um, Sydney walks down the street, and if I don't know what's going on in the boys, but there's some extreme stuff in that, too. At least the gore factor of Legion this episode was, was mild. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat. Sid walks down the street and finds a box with a thumping noise uh, and an apple next to it. The apple twitches and Cynthia appears and tells her that it's better to leave it. Sydney wonders where she went and Cynthia says that she was just there. She introduces her two kids, Sweetie and Blue. It's always Blue. And asks how their parents are. Uh, Sydney says that they, uh, they asked how Melanie and Oliver are. Um, Sydney says they love the park, but Cynthia figures that they don't remember her. The girl says that they talk about her all the time, and Cynthia points down an alley and invites Sydney to come with them for video games, movies, and cereal, and probably a couple things in a needle or two. Uh, Cynthia says that the wolf would like to see her, and Sid sees a fire in the alley. She says that she has to go, and Blue offers her heart before she goes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a temptation that I would still be into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's play, yeah, let's. Not not slavery movies necessarily like they want to watch. Right. <laughs> the, a lot of fairy tale in this particular yeah. blender, though. You'll love it. Get the apples, some Snow White stuff going on. And did you notice that the stairs in their apartment are look like you know the side of a shoe? Mm-hmm, yeah, with the bootlaces. Yeah. Sydney tells Melanie that she's never going to the real world. Melanie says that the real world needs Sydney and all the bad things can be fixed. So they're not bad. She explains that they're helping Sydney to be the person that the world needs so she can save it. There's uh, your Superman metaphor again. Mm-hmm. Um, when Sydney says she doesn't want to go, Melanie tells her that they're not put in the world to only think of themselves. Superman again. Uh-huh. Zack Zach Snyder, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you miss this? <laughs> Oliver comes in with a live turkey, and Sydney says they're going to save Cynthia. Oliver starts to object, and Sydney says that it's what good people do, and they taught her to be a good person. Yeah, it's totally. funny that they've done this in um, the series Uncanny X Force, where they took a character that was supposed to be evil and basically sent him to live with a fictional family in Kansas, like in the astral plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, no they're kidding. like, this is how. Yeah, they're like, this is how you know you make a good hero. Ah. It's like this kindly, kindly couple in Kansas. Right. Nice. Like you know, yeah. Marvel and DC always crossing the stream somehow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so good stuff there. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of Superman, a lot of just hero, you know, the hero journey stuff. And then and apparently, you know, Sid might end up being the savior after all. She hasn't lost her arm yet, but yeah, that could be coming. Sydney and Oliver go into the alley. Uh, Sweetie and Blue are sitting outside a door, and Oliver rolls a bottle to them to distract them. So the subplot about vodka and this, they're trying to get uh, Sid to drink vodka. Uh, they abduct Cynthia, and Oliver warns Sydney that the wolf will come for her. He tells Sydney that if, if she survives, she'll be a grown-up. Sydney wonders why they built the wall when it doesn't do anything, and Oliver explains that they taught her to work hard so she would work hard. They find Melanie and Oliver warns the wolf uh, that the wolf has their scent, and the wolf smells Oliver on the bottle. The couple takes Cynthia to their apartment, and Sid tells her that she deserves good things, like love, and they love her. 
She asks Cynthia to come home, and Cynthia tells them it doesn't matter because the wolf is there. The wolf howls and approaches the apartment. Oliver steps out and says the wolf can't have her. Unimpressed, the wolf says that he's a wild animal and Oliver can't beat him. And Oliver warns him that he has a few tricks. He swirls his cape and the wolf finds himself in a dark void with Cynthia. Oliver steps out and says there's only one way it can end, with a rap battle. Oh, and that rap battle will be in this podcast. Probably right here, as a matter of fact. Perfect. wizard who lives in the shoe the slick mac daddy from the ice cube my body is quite muscular bloodstreams corpuscular if you step to me focus you'll be sorry sir oh yes you'll be sorry i'm the big bad wolf that's what i'm telling you I've got a sensitive nose, that's why I'm smelling you. I'll roofie your daughter, hell, I'll roofie your son. I'm faster than a gun so you can hide, but you can't run. I'm an old school warlock, slept in more bears' beds than Goldilocks. Stay away from my kid, or I'll beat you with my cock. You may be an animal, but I'm a magical mammal who can turn you into ash, and then I'll go on sabbatical. You got all of the id. And none of the ego, you're all barking, no bite, while I fly like an eagle. I'm the supine lupine, my libido kills sunshine, moody and spicy like a fine-ass toilet wine. I'm the new norm, like stepmother porn, like a snatch and grab in a college dorm. I'm everything that's real, like the fact that veal is really adorable baby cows who scream for their mommies when they die. Mmm, screams. <laughs> I'll take your reality and I'll break it in half. Then I'll go take a shower or maybe a bath. See, I'm classy, I'm elegant, like a diplomat or a delegate. I grab balls of an elephant, by which I mean I'm masculine. I've got a lot of nice feminine qualities too. You could say I'm the mother of disaster, the battle master. You call yourself a wolf, you're a shitty little bastard. I'm the loco lobo and your name is Beast. Here is my lap, come take a seat. I've got a spiky erection like your daddy at bedtime Holding you tight and reading once upon a hate crime I'm a hepatitis outbreak at a homeless encampment I'm realer than real, I only got bad news Now get out of my way cause I win and you lose that nobody loves you. I got family and friends. I give money to charity. Every year on my birthday, people send me cards and letters. My mom and dad still write to me. Little old ladies still smile at me. Puppies aren't afraid of me. I get more hugs than hate mail, and I go to bed happy. Can you say that, you sad, sad man? And the lights come up to reveal a club, and Oliver starts rapping. The wolf raps back and starts to defeat Oliver. Really can't do this justice just by reading it. Um, Oliver says he has friends while the wolf has no one, and the audience cheers Oliver as the wolf breaks into tears. And Cynthia, uh, Cynthia, Cynthia begs Oliver not to kill him. Um, she thanks Oliver for everything, but says that she and the wolf belong together and leads him off. Oliver reappears on the street, dressed in his stylish 70s garb, I might add. Um, 
I was sitting in Melanie Lacan, Sydney is shocked that Cynthia went with a wolf, and Melanie says that they had to try to save her so Sid would know the truth. Oliver claps his hand, and uh, Melanie's modern clothing appears on her. She runs forward and hugs him, and he says that Sydney is ready. Sydney wonders what he means, and Oliver touches her face, and she becomes Sid. Sid remembers what happened and uh, realizes that she has to go back, and Melanie tells her that it's not us or them, but us and them. Yeah. So, so I guess in like the context of what's maybe happening in the show, yeah, when when David bleeped out uh, Sid's brain, basically she she escaped to the astral plane, where as we well know that Oliver and Melanie have been hanging out since last season. Even though, like, the, the epilogue of last season was them talking to us and the world had already ended, so it's... But, but we know the astral plane is, like, outside of time and space, so... Um, so, yeah, they're, like, kind of like Professor X Sid back to health and, and got her brain back in her body, and, and the party's about to start in earnest. <laughs> the, the, the wolf's rap is so, is so good because it really preys on that adolescent idea that it's like, what if somebody that you thought loved you had a sexual motive for that love and you didn't, and you didn't know. And that's pretty much what he's saying. Yeah. It was a creepy portrayal all the way around, which, you know, it's, that's, you know, that's pretty much what the big bad wolf was anywhere. At least the little red white riding hood wolf was, you know, very very hungry and and sexual and, and evil and, yeah, we got all that in this. <laughs> but the rap battle was, was pretty epic. Uh, it was indeed. Although and, I think, which think, you which you all just heard. Yes, yes. So I think both those white boys should keep their day job. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, what's his name? That, Jermaine Clement is a is a trained rapper. I mean, he used to do it all the time. Yeah. All the time on. Um, oh, on uh, the concourse. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he knows what he knows what's up. It was glorious, and, and hopefully, you know, I hate to say hopefully, but possibly the last uh, musical number that that Legion will give us. I have musical, a gonna, yeah, we might get yeah. a, you know maybe some more who songs. Gonna go out on a pretty incredible high. <laughs> or better go out on a pretty incredible high. Yeah. Sid says that they need. Sid says that they need them with her, and Melanie says that they did their part, and she should remember what they taught her. Sid closes her eyes and wakes up on the airship in the hallway near Carrie and the Acolytes. Going to the bridge, Sid see, sees Switch's time doorway fluctuating in the air but is unable to pass through it. Carrie is tending to Carrie's wounds, and Carrie thinks that they lost. Carrie wonders if they're going to vanish when David changes things in the past, and Carrie admits that he doesn't know. Sid arrives and says that she can fix it because the time doorway is still open, but she needs to get in. Carrie says that he'll make more bracelets like the one he made for David. Uh, the doorway continues fluctuating, and Carrie finally explains that the time eaters are back. She finishes. He finishes uh, three bracelets and says that they're piggybacking on Switch's power. They'll find her and David uh, by following her signal. Carrie tells Carrie that Sid needs him. Punchy Carrie tells Science Carrie that Sid needs him. She's pretty beat up from last episode, um, and she says that Sid needs me, and you know full fighting capabilities. And so basically she has to do the switcheroo and give all her injuries to science carry, and they place them in a wheelchair. Thanks for that call out. Um, 
and so so fighty carry is is back at full strength and, and science carry is in pretty bad fucking shape but that's how they had to do that so carry tells sid that they need a minute then goes over the wheelchair and calls carry over he insists that it's the only way and he tells her to come home uh the two of them merge uh, okay i just said that basically so carries to switch and uh pass yeah i didn't i it didn't even occur to me until just this second but we saw you know that adopt in the adoption scene with david we saw the wheelchair wheels mm-hmm. pulling up to his adopted family's house what if that's uh carrie in the wheelchair and not uh charles in the wheelchair giving yeah. it to the other family yeah because so far just charles can still walk so yep. we, we shall see time eaters start appearing around them and sid tells carrie it is that it's time to go. Carrie emerges from Carrie and tells Sid to go through the doorway. And then the wheels, the wheel, and then wheels the wheelchair to the door. She shoves Carrie through it and then goes through as the time eaters close in. In the hallway, Carrie checks on Carrie and tells Sid that they're going to win. There was, of course, the, the little tease that they might, you know, punchy Carrie might be, might be, not be long for this world as she kind of tries to stay behind and beat up the time eaters first and but she makes it through the portal herself you know but she's like ah must punch time eaters first which is why and then we get that. our uh <laughs> our neil young cover cinnamon yes. girl yes and as i think i said on maybe our last episode or something uh uh pat got to watch this before me um and you know, non-spoilery messages me on Facebook, and he's like, "Oh, wait till you see it!" And just kneel with exclamation points. Fucking kneel! Yeah, and and I'm like, so I'm watching the whole episode, and I'm like, not seeing any Neil yet. I'm like, is Neil Gaiman gonna show up? Because I could see that happening. Very much um, so, yeah. And I'm like, for some reason, my diseased '80s brain went to Neil from the Young Ones. Is he still alive? <laughs> And uh, I'm just like, all right, well, Pat's just apparently his brain has finally popped because of watching <laughs> this show. And, of course, yep, uh, end credits is, is a nice cover of Cinnamon Girl, so that should be in here, too, if I can find it. Uh, yeah, I think Neil from The Young Ones is still alive and sadly <laughs> looks like the establishment that he, uh, that he fought against. No! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't make fun of my dad, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Rick sadly is not with us anymore. No, uh, but uh, Aid Edmonton was in uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. So was he really? I'm... Yeah, he was the guy that was talking to Hux at the very beginning of the movie. Oh my God! Okay, it's the guy next to him. Yeah. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know that it's all right to wonder? Did you know that it's all right to wonder? There are all kinds of wonderful things. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know that it's all right to marvel? Did you know that it's all right to marvel? There are all kinds of marvelous things. You can ask a lot of questions about the world and your place in it. You can ask about people's feelings. You can learn the sky's the limit. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know when you wonder you're learning? Did you know when you marvel you're learning? 
about all kinds of wonderful, all kinds of marvelous, marvelously wonderful things. We learn so much by wondering. Awesome. All right, chapter 26 out of 27. Right. Almost it. Charles sits in a theater and watches a show, a matador fighting a pantomime bull. The matador finally kills the bull, which roars in agony. He leaps into the air and brings it down with one final thrust, and then removes the costume head to reveal Charles inside. The devil with yellow eyes appears next to Charles and the audience in the audience and says he should never have come. Opening his eyes, Charles finds himself on a plane heading for Morocco. When the plane lands, all the taxis depart, and one driver is waiting for Charles, holding a portrait of Charles, and calls to him. He says it's an honor and gives Charles the portrait and explains that he is a subject and his king is excited to meet Charles. As they drive off, the driver says his king knew that Charles was coming. Oh, yeah. Charles is not the sharpest tool in the shed in this scene. He's like, are you here for me? Hey, really, dumbass? You think? So Switch leads David down the time hallway, which is going all fritzy and, you know, going from, like, minutes to years to centuries to back again. And and she says that she has the power to move for, uh, through time, but her body isn't strong enough, and she's starting to get beat up and lost, lose more teeth. David assures her he only needs one little thing and he'll never ask for anything again. Uh, the hallway wavers, and David is trapped in a room. Um, he screams in agony and remembers his conversations with Farouk, who says that he decides what's real, and David concentrates. And stuck in Lajati land, which is even more like Lajati in this one, because literally the words come up on the screen, too. Um, time between time, uh, blue eggs hatch, and time demons appear around Farouk, and he flickers away. Yep, and that for, I think, the second time in the series, the word mutant is used. Farouk is referred to as an Omega-level yeah, mutant. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yep. The driver takes Charles to a palace and says that he is waiting. Charles goes inside and dozens of children run past him. Farouk welcomes Charles as his friend and introduces one of the children, Habiba. He explains that he made the painting and knows his family and offers him children. Uh, does he? He offers him children? I don't remember that. I don't okay. either, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the wall behind them, Farouk flickers within a painting of the, of the time between time. And this is so similar to Wolverine's arrival at um, Xavier's mansion in um, the first X-Men movie. Yeah. Um, Although somewhat less sinister because it's not directed by Brian Singer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I rewatched I re that scene and I was like, ugh. Sure, he was at the casting for all those extras. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to go there in my head right now because I do love that movie. And just watching that little clip again made me want to watch the movie again. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably watch it and review it this week. Yeah. That way I can share this episode on my uh, letterbox. I bought, the, I bought the X-Men 1.5 DVD, too. So I've got like, nice. the, the extra scenes. I don't even remember what they were. But... I'm going to see if that's available for streaming. Gabrielle sees a door in her front lawn, the, uh, the Wiley Coyote to Bugs Bunny door once again. Uh, Sid, Carrie, and Carrie appear on the front lawn, and Carrie warns David, uh, warns that David could attack at any time. Gabrielle comes out and asks if they put the door there. She asks if she sees them and realizes that she's not crazy. 
Baby David uh, cries inside and Gabrielle goes to tend to him. To her? Come on, guys. Uh, <laughs> Sid follows uh, Gabrielle inside and Gabrielle says the babies are technically insane. Uh, entering the room, Sid says the crazy babies become men and they fall in love with them, even though they burn them up. Gabrielle talks about mass graves and wonders what the meaning of them are and says that animals fight to live whether they want to or not. Sid apologizes, saying that she's not supposed to be there. Gabrielle calls David by name, and Sid realizes who he is. Um, I think what Sid says is, I'm not concerned about babies being insane. I'm concerned. She doesn't say crazy babies. Right, I'm not right. concerned about a, a baby being crazy. I'm concerned that, you know, it will grow up, that they grow up into, crazy you know, man. men that are, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not a, it's not a, what is it? It's not quite the big snake grows in, or little snakes grow into big snakes analogy that the writer of this wanted to right. make it. Um, Charles and Farouk have dinner, and Farouk says that the children are all orphans and mute. He opens his palace to them out of decency. Two of the children tease a monkey in a cage, and Farouk, and Farouk says that they have things to discuss. I should point out that um, Charles is very bothered by the kids poking this monkey, and Farouk's just like, no, we'll let them have their fun. Yeah, so yeah. weird-looking monkey too. I don't know if yeah. that's uh, an actual species or the special effects guys got to it a little bit, but it was it's an unnerving-looking monkey for yeah. some reason. I usually love monkeys, but this one gave me the willies for some reason. I think it was supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He transfers himself and Charles to the astral plane, and Charles admits that he's never been there before before. Farouk tells him to feel the power that is there, and Charles creates a jungle with his imagination. He summons an image of Gabriel tending to David, and Gabriel turns to look at him and give him their child. Um, I want to say Farouk told Xavier that he, Farouk, invented the astral plane. I don't recall that. No, I... Yeah. No, but, um, I don't know. Maybe. The synopsis, the synopsis skipped that when uh, Charles got there, Farouk was all, like the first thing he did was start talking to him about Gabrielle and David yeah. and being like, you know, you're, you're very, um, you know, pores and Adams, they all speak about them. Right. Yeah. Cause he's yeah. like, how do you know all this about me? Yeah. He's just like psychic dude like you. Yeah. you know? <laughs> the two men return to the dining table and Farouk points out that they've both been alone for a long, for a very long time. He once thought that, that he was, I want to say this, supposed to be mad, not made. That he was mad, but he flourished, yeah. and Charles reached out, seeing him. Farouk saw him and tells him it's a privilege to see and be seen. Charles asks how Farouk came to be where he is now, and Farouk says that it's time for the entertainment. And they appear in a theater, and a shadowy creature appears on stage singing, and Farouk says that the children call him the Shadow King, and he was a tyrant, who basked in the luxury as his subjects suffered. Well, no, no, he says he, he deposed a tyrant, actually, who basked in luxury as his uh, subjects suffered. He, he plays he plays as the, uh, the liberator of these people. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this doesn't read right, does it? A hero rose no. defeated yeah. the Shadow King. Man, yeah. uh, synopsis people over at this place are drunk, or Russian <laughs> bots or something. They battled, and the hero vanquished the tyrant. So, Farouk being the hero in this case. The children cheer, and Farouk narrates that the hero took the kingdoms and riches, 
and ushered in an age of prosperity, a flickering image of David appears next to Charles, and he says that it's all lies. Charles wakes up in a bed. He's painting on the wall. He hears the monkey chittering, goes to it and reads its mind. Charles sees a man in the cage saying that he was the king and Charles has to help him. David appears through Switch's time doorway and tells Charles not to be afraid because he's there to help. Charles wonders if he's dreaming, and David tells him that he knows who he is. He invites Charles to read his mind, and Charles gets a mental image of David, of David as a baby in a crib. David takes Charles into his mind so they can talk privately. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and saying that Charles, you know, however this all wraps up, it doesn't end with Xavier killed, that David himself is going to be, like, the catalyst that makes Charles want to try to hide him. You know, from the show, yes. Okay. Yes. You know, something to that effect, which starts the whole cycle and the Battlestar Galactica. This all happened before bullshit and you know, timey wimey. But David takes Charles into his mind so they can talk privately. Can you feel the insomnia kicking in, kids, listeners at home? <laughs> it is. Trust me. David takes Charles into his mind so they can talk privately. Warns if Farouk hears everything and offers Charles a piece of cake representing knowledge. Charles hesitates and then eats it, and you never eat the food in the fairy court, guy. Nope. Not a good and, idea. And the cake, the cake is never knowledge either. It's a naturally... The cake is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody, Noah Halley has played some yeah. portal. Because <laughs> some, pers- some person made that cake. Knowledge, yeah. knowledge is an apple because it grows out of the ground and... You know, it's made by nature, so it's true. And, you know, the cake is just whoever, whatever the person who baked it wants you to think. But continue. But anyway, uh, he receives knowledge of everything. In this case, it does work, kind of. It, he downloads everything David's been through. And David says that Farouk wanted uh, Charles to come. Something pounds on the door, and David tells it not now. And we know it's uh, David's uh, other selves trying to get into the conversation. He tells Charles that the next day, Charles and Farouk will fight on the astral plane. And Charles will defeat him, seemingly, but the Farouk will hide in David's mind. However, David says that this time, Charles has an advantage. You've got me. Carrie tends to the unconscious Carrie, and Sid joins him and tells Carrie what is going on. Surprised, Carrie wonders why they don't just kill baby David. And Sid says that he's just a baby. Sid points out that they're changing time just by being there. And Oliver and Melanie taught, taught her that they can save the baby, even though they can't save the adult David. Not what they taught her at all. Um, <laughs> Carrie suggests that they just walk away. And Sid says that it's about to change and all, the thing, all of the things David did to Sid. She tells Carrie that she's going to stay. But Carrie doesn't have to, and Carrie tells her that she does have to stay. So you can see that, you know, uh, Sid is still very indoctrinated by what David told her as well as what uh, Melanie and uh, Oliver told her. Yeah. Because she she thinks that she can fix, you know, everything that already happened. Right, which is, you know, kind of classic abuse thing, too. It's like, I I know I can change him, I can fix him. Um, Which, hoping that she's not still in that mindset, but yeah, that does does feel like it a little bit. And, of course, we finally get to have kind of one of the uh, should-we-kill-baby-Hitler conversations Yep. Uh, that you almost always have to have with time travel. Um, so check one that, that one off the checklist. In the house's furnace, a time demon appears in the flames. And I want to say, have they started saying time is the enemy yet? Because that kind of becomes a mantra of this, uh, this visit to... Uh, 
what's her name? Gabrielle's house. Not quite yet. Because time, be- yeah, time being the enemy. I think so. When, yeah. the, when the, the house starts getting eaten away yeah. and stuff. The next morning, Farouk is eating breakfast when Charles joins him. David comes in wearing a uniform, and, and he's pretending to be an old army buddy. Charles says he's an old friend uh, who is in Morocco. Farouk stares at David, then smiles and invites David to eat with them. They eat, and David smiles at Farouk, who stares at him. Farouk makes some small talk and tries to read David David's mind, but David blocks him. And once Farouk leaves, David tells Charles they have him rattled, which uh, staggers in, losing blood and teeth all over the place and collapses to the floor. Time and... Sp- oh, and she exclaims, you know, teacher, I am here, right yeah. before she, she falls. Time and space jumps, and Switch lies unconscious on a couch. David tries to wake her up, and Charles asks who she is. They appear in David's room, and he tells Charles that Switch is only a means to an end. He insists that Farouk ruins him, and the door continues to rattle. David yells at it to stop, but and it does for a moment, and then begins slowly beating on the door. And then begins slowly beating on the door. Charles goes over as the door opens, and two Davids appear. They say that Charles abandoned and betrayed them, and Charles tries to wake up the original David. He's comatose, and more Davids come through the door, calling to Charles. Gabriel holds baby David and calls to Charles to come home as Farouk's children run at him. Charles wakes up in a bed and sees a portrait of David on the wall. Now, as Sid chops firewood, she asks Gabrielle if baby David is a good baby. Gabrielle says that he cries a lot, like he knows something, and figures that it, he knows that it's her, that's, you know, that mom's sick or something like that. Sid says that she's had two actual childhoods because she grew up uh, in the real world, and the first time she ran and then she walked, and the second time she crawled and then she walked and she felt safe. Sid tells Gabrielle that baby David only wants to feel safe, and Gabrielle talks to her about how her grandmother had a sickness, speaking in tongues, and mother suffered from the same mental illness. Sid figures that David's mental illness is hereditary, and tells Gabrielle that she has to love her baby like his life depends on it, and like everyone's life depends (laughs) on it. She asks Gabrielle not to let the monsters in, because when David grows up, it'll be too late. Gabrielle says she thinks she understands, and asks Sid if if she's really there, and Sid hears the time demons laughing from the firewood and realizes that they've arrived. Carrie runs in and tells Carrie that she heard something. They hear time demons cackling, and Sid runs to David's nursery while Carrie sees a time demon approaching. She wakes up Carrie and tells him they found David and have to protect him. Carrie sees the time demon appear, and she turns to hack it as time freezes. In the nursery, baby David's mobile disappears, and other furnishings disappear as the room reverses back through time. A time demon looks down on baby David and growls, and then Sid arrives with Gabrielle and defeats it. Time reasserts itself, and Sid tells Gabrielle they have to get out of the house. In the basement, the time demons manifest out of the furnace. Look a little more evil this time around, a little less yeah. blue meanie-ish. They're just a little darker blue, almost it seems. Uh, so Noah clearly got our, our memo and, and was like, "Shit, I'm going to get sued by the Beatles," and backed off on it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Charles leaves the Davids, who try to wake up David and say that Charles left them again. Left him again. The the mutant goes through the room where Farouk is meditating. Uh, Habiba approaches from the children uh, and asks, isn't that one of the children? Yeah. Habiba, yeah. Uh, make the voices stop and explain that they're all inside of her. Charles enters her mind and sees dozens of people's mental powers in her head, all screaming. 
Uh, he goes to David and says that it's his fault and he's been naive. And Charles explains that he came there for friendship but realizes that Farouk is a monster. And David warns that the only way to stop Farouk is to kill him and figures the two of them together can crush him. Farouk emerges from the time between time into the palace and approaches his past self. And the past Farouk sees his future self and smiles. So it appears there's going to be two Farouks versus Charles and David in the... Uh, a grand finale of this thing. Yep, somehow they're going to wrap this up in 52 minutes. Jesus, I don't know how. Um, yeah. They said that they need to shorten whatever musical number it is to like less than 10 minutes and hopefully we can get the rest of the story in there and maybe it'll still all be in David's head. Still haven't figured that out yet, but uh, it could go 50-50, I think, <laughs> at this point. Um I don't know. What do you think? Seems like there's external shit going on. You know, oh, yeah. So, who knows? So, it might, it might end up being a Legion Quest type thing. I, I think Charles might get off, and then David will, like, just blink out of existence or something. Um, so, instead of having to kill baby Hitler, kill baby Hitler's dad, and, you know, we'll go back to... Age of Apocalypse. Universe. Yeah, there's some there's some parts of me that want to see like um, because we know that um, there's been rumors that the original X Men and the cartoon has gone back into production. Really, okay. and I would love that if it turned out that they just got the production team to make the last episode of the show or make something for it. That would be beautiful. Just, like, yeah, cuts into that universe. Um, and it's like Patrick Stewart will do about anything. Sure, uh, I could totally, just signed totally, on for a new TV series. Yeah, so I could totally see him have secretly, you know, come in and done like a couple of seconds on Legion or whatever, even just over the phone. I still, I know, I, I don't even really see a lot. I peruse YouTube a lot for a lot of reviews and stuff, and I don't even see a lot of people making predictions for the end. They're all just kind of as befuddled as we are <laughs> which is which is a sign of you know a, a cleverly done show oh like yeah can't, definitely can't guess it yeah yeah because i mean I, a lot of the times when i have a theory about some of my shows it usually ends up becoming you know pretty close to it you know or at least a lot of the rumor sites on you know and speculation sites on the internet usually get pretty close to to what happens and and this one i just think everyone's just like wow no clue and that's awesome <laughs> But we'll know uh, probably by the time this episode drops, uh, you'll already know how it yeah, ends. Yeah, easily. So. Uh, I'm really not going to editorialize any more than that. The, the fairy tale of the Big Bad Wolf was just just awesome and unexpected. Yeah, and, I, mean, I loved it. Loved it, that episode. Loved, loved this. Loved both of them. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's just I just can't believe it's almost over. Though I just yeah, this <laughs> one the. Shows I've well, always looked forward to seeing the next one. The Boys is getting a second season, so we'll be yeah, yeah. talking about that. I'm about to finish off the last of that tonight. Watch everything but the final one. I'm still midway through the fifth episode. I am, I am, I am enjoying that more yeah. as I go along. It uh, starts to pick up pace. It's definitely. I said I don't know about the Huey yet. He hasn't really advanced much more in its character, in my opinion. But I mean still adequate in my opinion it's i'm just enjoying carl urban freaking eating scenery so nothing else could be bad after that truth uh, 
All right, we will join you again for the final Legion. I'll, I'll, I'll like even fish out there, see if anyone else has been watching this and would want to join us, and we'll, we'll I'll proofread the synopsis. Goddammiter, write my own. Finally, this season, I think I'll just write my own because the the final finale of this season deserves it, and I'm, I'm sick of this guy's grammar errors and stuff. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if they found us, whoever wrote this? <laughs> yeah, you know, so stop using our bad recaps. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you don't even need to draft a cease and desist level for that one, dude. Uh, letter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so one more to go, man. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe this show ever existed to begin with, really. And I'm, I'm, Yeah, and that, that it got three seasons. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm going to own whatever copy I can get of it someday and, and probably give it about a year and rewatch the whole damn thing and Yeah, and, Carnival only got two and this one gets three. Yeah, that's <laughs> depressing. Yeah. Uh I love that show. So it's been nothing but joy and, and it's shows like this. Maybe now, you know, maybe I'll right now I don't have time to watch eighteen different Walking Dead shows, but maybe I will after this and uh, they seem to be hell-bent on building their own cinematic universe over there and after 10 years I'm just not sure I care <laughs> but this one I could have watched a few more years of but we only get one more so we'll be back next week to do that for you bye now bye bye Yeah.